0: Well, good morning, church. Am I loud and clear? <laughs> wow, what a morning it's been already. Um, wasn't telling to say that, um, but let's um, just take a moment just to reflect on how good, how good God has been already, what we've heard already, and how we felt the presence of God already. So I'm now going to start with how I was supposed to be starting off, and that's to say this. In the 1960s, one of the greatest songwriters of all time, in my view, Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, John. <laughs> You're my buddy, John, you know, <laughs> wrote a song called Please Don't Tell Me How the Story Ends. As you can probably guess from that title, it's a sad song. It's a very sad song. But today, we are going to look at how the story ends as part of our conclusion of the series, Why Church? Because, and apologies for the spoiler alert, the ending is good. We're on the winning team. Our victory is guaranteed. Our ending is a story of triumph. (laughs) Of victory, of hope and encouragement. And the title of today's talk is The New Jerusalem. But before we get into the New Jerusalem, let's have a quick recap of what we've covered over the last six weeks in our series, Why Church? So Dom kicked us off by looking at the Bride of Christ. So it's Jesus who guides, nurtures and loves us corporately as well as individually. Now, on the second week, we had Dr. illustrating how we are the people of God. In the world, but not of the world, the chosen people and royal priesthood, saved by grace and faith and bonded by the Holy Spirit. And then Jonathan took us through some illustrations of the father's family, showing how we're sons and heirs, brothers of Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit, sharers and partakers together of the life of God. And then week four was Colin with his brick, you may remember. Talking about how we are a temple built of living stones, the place where we all fit together as the spirit chips away at our rough edges to form a solid whole. And then week five, Emma took us through the temple of the Holy Spirit, showing how the curtain was torn away. And we are witnesses of Jesus in the world, where heaven touches earth, where we join in worship and adoration together. And then last week, Robin took us through the body of Christ. We're one body made up of many parts. We need each other to fully see what God is about. There are no lone Christians in the father's family. So today's conclusion, as I mentioned, is the new Jerusalem. Now, when I saw that I was down to speak on the new Jerusalem, I thought, yeah, great, we're going to end the series on a high. I'm well up for this. It's a good ending. We know how the story ends as Christians. So I was, yeah, enthused. I was well up for it. And then, of course, I discovered that the most detailed description we have of the New Jerusalem is in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, which Phil read from just a little while ago. And then I thought, ah, oh, okay, Revelation. And the more I thought about it, my sense of enthusiasm turned to one of despair, <laughs> as I thought, oh no, Revelation. Just to put it in context for anyone who doesn't know, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, written by the Apostle John. Based, it's the revelation of the prophetic vision that the Lord revealed to John while he was on the Greek island of Patmos, written about 90 AD. But this book is magnificent, but it's profoundly mysterious. It's poetic, it's prophetic, and theologians, scholars, academics, some incredibly smart people have been debating and wrestling over the meaning of this book for centuries. I thought, oh no, <laughs> I've really been stitched up here. You know, <laughs> I love the elders, God bless them, but they've really, they've really done one on me here. I've got, I've got, I've, there's no way I'm gonna be able to even begin to convey what this passage is speaking about. So I did what I always do, I went to the Lord, I said, Lord, I can't get my head around this, what am I gonna do? I'm supposed to preach on this. And I felt God say to me, just chill. You don't need to get your head around this. You just need to let your heart accept it. Let your heart receive the truth of what this scripture is saying. I thought, yeah, yeah, I can can do that. I can just be open and let my heart receive what you're saying. So we're going to look at the uh, Revelation 21, but before we do that, I just want you to think for a moment. When you think of your own personal story, your own personal happy ending, what does that look like for you? What is your ultimate happy ending? Just take a moment to consider what that might be for you individually. And consider that God's happy ending for you is far bigger, far better, far brighter than anything you can possibly conceive of for yourself as we're going to look at in Scripture now. Now, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 21. We're not going to be looking at all of it. There is so much in here. But we're going to just go through um, a fairly good chunk of it. And to set the context of where this chapter is in the book of Revelation, Satan has been overthrown. The enemy has been defeated. Evil is no more. So I'm going to uh, read from the NIV this morning. Um, I'm going to start with verses 1 to 5, and it's Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, I'm just going to pause there for a second. When Phil came up and read that verse, it was like—I don't know—it was like a punch in the heart because I've been living with that scripture for during the preparation for this for this message, and there's been so many echoes today already in the meeting of how God's kind of confirmed what He's been revealing to me personally in this. Um, even what Colin said about the clouds, as we'll come to you later on, but. Um, I'm just going to pray before we carry on reading uh, the rest of the, of the passage. So Lord, we thank you for the truth and the power of your words. These, these are your words, Lord. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be stirred afresh, and we would connect, Lord with, with our hearts would connect with what you're saying here, Lord. Even if much of this is beyond the understanding of our minds, Lord, I pray our hearts would would be stirred, Lord, and that these these words would sink into our hearts now and forever. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read now from uh, verse 9, verse 9 to 11. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the second, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, carnelian, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the 10th, chrysoprase, the 11th, jacinth, and the 12th, amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl, The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow, that's quite a mouthful there, isn't it? I challenge you to read the names of those precious stones quickly. Bit of a tongue twister. Um, But this is just weighted with absolute magnificence and power beyond anything we can comprehend or describe. I've got a slide um, which is just a, a quick high level outline, really, of what the new Jerusalem is. So it is the holy city of the new heaven and new earth. Ultimately, it's God himself living with us. Now, just hold that thought for a second. So the God that we pray to, we sing to, we think about, we talk to in our everyday lives, in our personal meditations and devotions. God himself dwelling with us. I mean, can you even imagine that? I mean, it's, just, it, it's something which is beyond what we can really comprehend. We think we might have an idea of it, but the, idea, the, the greatest idea we have of that is nothing to the reality of it. Free from sin, evil, sickness, suffering, and death. I mean, that in itself is just beyond our ability to really comprehend. From the moment... Anyone who's blessed with the gift of life will be well acquainted with all of these things. It's a city of pure gold, pure as glass. Pure as glass. And decorated with many types of precious stone, as we've seen. And no temple, because God and the Lamb are its temple. And no night... No night. It's lit by the glory of God. And what follows on from no night, gates that never shut. In, in ancient times, cities all had gates which were closed at night for security reasons. But there's no need for the gates to be shut because there's no chance of a thief coming in, any danger entering. There was absolutely no danger. So the gates are always open. In Revelation 22, it that there's no longer any curse and that we will see God's face. What does God look like to you? It's beyond dazzling. And in this passage, there are seven things that are specified that will be no more. So in the new heavens and the new earth, there are seven things that will be no more. Interesting one, no more sea. Now, people who love the ocean might be devastated by that. Now, as I mentioned, scholars, theologians, academics have been debating what some of the meanings are here. Some people think no more sea is literally no more sea, that it's just land. Other people are interpreting that metaphorically as the sea potentially being a place which gives rise to evil. Like in Revelation 13, the beast coming out of the sea, for example, Another interpretation is the sea as being something which represents division and separation because the sea separates continents. So that's an interesting one. But the others are a lot clearer. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more night, no more impurity. Nothing impure can ever enter the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is to be our dwelling with the Lord. Now, to quote another great songwriter, I'm full of songwriters at the minute, Jackson Brown, one of his lines is, I don't know about anyone but me. So I don't know what these, when you see these words here, what do they represent to you personally, to you and the people you care about? But when I, when I see the end of things, In Revelation 21, 4, as Phil read out, I think of all the people I love, all the people I care about. I think about myself, my hopes, my dreams, the sufferings that I go through, the worries, the anxieties, the stresses that I have, that that I've gone through, and that everyone I know who's gone through. And let's face it, in this broken, fallen world, we'll go through. I think of that being eradicated completely forever. Imagine, imagine that. Well, we can't. It's 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 difficult to imagine, isn't it? Because we're surrounded by this all the time, but the time is coming when these things will truly be no more. Sounds pretty good, right? Probably the greatest understatement of the century to say that sounds pretty good. So, knowing all this, knowing what a magnificent victory and situation this is. How do we get in there then? How do, you know, what's the visa replication process to get into the New Jerusalem? What do we need to do? Revelation 19, verses 7 to 8, says this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So, as we saw earlier in the series, we, the church, are the bride of Christ. This is talking about a wedding feast. Now, our church is no stranger to weddings, of course. We've had quite a few here. Most recently, Rachel and Jordan. Weddings are a great thing, aren't they? It's a wonderful, happy occasion. I love... The two moments that I love in any wedding... Obviously it's when the bride walks down the aisle and the groom's kind of looking at her, waiting for her to arrive. And he's just gobsmacked by by the beauty coming, the vision of beauty that's coming towards him. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. How do you think Christ sees us? We are that vision of beauty that he cherishes coming toward him. And I love the moment when the couple are about to exchange vows at the front and their eyes are just full of each other. The whole world could could disappear and they would just be fixated on each other. So if the Lord sees his bride like that, how do we, the church, see the Lord? in, In that pure love? You know, I read a quote recently about marriage, and it said that marriage isn't so much about finding the right person as it is about being the right person. And I want to remind you all today that each of you are the right person for the Lord. We, as a church, are the right people for the Lord. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything Christ has done. Because of everything Jesus has done, it makes us the right people for the Lord. It makes us the right, peop- the right person, the right church to be his bride. That's us. So how do we get into the New Jerusalem? With the VIP guest of honor with the bride. Who's the most important person at the wedding? It's the bride and the groom. So we are there as VIPs, no visa needed, you're in. If you have Jesus as your saviour and your Lord, and you turn away from sin, you're guaranteed a place in the New Jerusalem. This is our hope, this is our promise, this is our guarantee. However, it can seem a little bit distant, can't it, when we're living in the world that we're living in. We have this vision of the new Jerusalem, we read the scripture, we know it's there, we know it's coming one day. What about the in-between time, when these things which will be no more, the weeping, the pain, the suffering, the death, they're very present and we have to live with the reality of that so how do we do that you know no one said life would be easy and in fact scripture revelation 217 the lord says he who, he who overcomes will inherit all this and in chapter 3 verse 21 of revelation to him who overcomes i will give the right to sit with me on my throne so there's there's a real sense of having to overcome Everyone here, we all know what that's like to have to overcome stuff, big and small. But how do we overcome? I'd refer to Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Not just trust in the Lord, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. Maybe you're struggling to do that. Maybe you're saying, God, where are you? Can't see you. Can't feel you. Where are you? Tell him. Chat to him. Tell him. If, if you... And church, you know, we're living stones. We are in this together. This isn't a journey that we have to walk alone. We're here to support each other, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to build each other up. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. Tell him what you need help with to help you overcome. You know, as Colin mentioned a little while ago about clouds, it's been a pretty shocking summer, isn't it, for the lack of sunshine that we've had. And true story, I had a few days off, around about bank holiday August, and I thought, well, you know, the weather's bound to improve, you know, it's bound to improve. So I went out and I thought, you know, I've not, been, not had a holiday this year, I've not really been anywhere, sort of staycations, but thankfully, you know, there's loads of beautiful places to see in the UK. Don't necessarily have to go overseas. So I thought, to get in the holiday mood, I thought I'd treat myself. I went and bought a pair of sunglasses, a pair of new sunglasses. Now, these sunglasses are dangerously close to being, what I would describe as absolutely hideous. They are these oversized kind of aviator things. I don't know what I was thinking when I bought them. And I thought, well, do you know what? It needs to be really, really sunny for me to even get away with wearing these because I'm gonna just be mocked everywhere I I, I walk. Maybe I should take them back. They've still got the receipt and tag on them and everything. But I thought, do you know what? I'm bound to be able to wear these and I get in the holiday mood, you know, go out and about, but no chance, just the cloud. And it was like, to quote the carpenters, you know, rainy rainy days and Mondays always get me down. (laughs) You know the, the cloud, the weather was just getting me down. I mean, I, I love the sunshine, and you know, I don't cope too well with with sort of overcast weather all the time, especially in the summer. And I thought, do you know what? I was reminded of something. That whenever you do take a plane in the daytime, even on a cloudy day, you take a flight anywhere. What happens when you take off? You go through the cloud. You see sunshine you see blue sky. When you're above the clouds, the, car, the clouds like a, a cotton wool carpet below the plane. The sun is bright and the sky is blue. I noticed that when I was a kid. Every time you take it, you go through the cloud. It's like, wow, the sun is there. And that's a really interesting metaphor for, for our lives now. We're living in a fallen, broken world, and many of our days are under cloud. But guess what? Above the cloud, the sun is shining. And it's always there. Even though we can't always see it, can't always feel it, sometimes we, you know, all we're seeing is the gloom and the rain, but the sun is there. And that's an anchor that we can hold on to. We know, it's, we, we know that God sees everything, see, sees, all, sees all of our troubles, and cares about our troubles. Never slumbers or sleeps. And let's remind ourselves of of that that powerful verse, Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's really stand on that. These words are trustworthy and true. This is God speaking, this is God speaking to you, this is God speaking to me. Let's never forget that, even on our darkest days, let's know that our best days are ahead for all of us. And knowing this, going back to the bride, gazing at her husband, you know where, where Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, about storing up treasure, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's ask ourselves, where's our heart? What, what are our eyes gazed upon? For, for where our heart is, where our treasure is, our heart is. Are we storing up treasures above or here below? As, uh, as the bride of Christ, let our eyes and our hearts be full of him. Let him be our treasure. For let's remember, as I'm just going to invite the, Nick and Claire up to, to close in, in a final song, that one day... We will dwell with God face to face and pain and suffering will be no more. It's coming. And we know it's coming because the word of the Lord says it's coming and his word is trustworthy and true. So just when you sleep tonight, remember the time is coming when we will have peace and we will dwell with the Lord face to face and pain will be no more. Do we get an amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.